in this sermon, this service of communion. We have just seen and participated in a display of the gospel. Gospel is a word that means good news. The good news is that God's own son came to earth to pay the price for man's sin by his own death, that through him we might receive forgiveness. We might not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the gospel message. But who is the gospel for? Who is the gospel for? For whom did Jesus go to the cross, enter the grave, and rise again? Who is it that can benefit from God's offer of salvation through Christ? Who is the gospel for? Is it for the good people? Is it for the well-behaved? Is it for the well-to-do? Is it for the prominent people? Is it for the wealthy? Is it for the important? Or is the gospel for the really bad people? The obviously needy people. Maybe the weak people who can't seem to get through life on their own. The Bible answers the question, if you're a church member who's been reading through the Gospel of John in our summer and fall reading plan, you know the answer. The Gospel is for as many as would believe. The message and guarantee of eternal salvation is very simply for those who would believe it and those who would receive it. The gospel is not for a particular type of person. No one is above receiving the gospel. No one is below it. And the scripture teaches that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This conviction of the far-reaching relevance of the gospel to all people is what what inspires missionaries to go and do their mission work. It is the reason that missionaries go to faraway places. It's the reason that one of our missionaries, Mark Hancock, right now just spent 10 days in Zambia helping the people there. Mark works in Bible translation through Wycliffe Associates, and he is there helping the people to get the Word of God in their own language so that it can be preached and so that it can be taught effectively and prayerfully so that it then will be believed that it would be received, that people would be saved. The gospel is for all who would believe. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved what? The world. In God's world there are no insignificant people. In God's world, there are no insignificant places. And in our passage this morning from Acts, we see this played out as by the guiding hand of God himself through the providence of a great storm and even a shipwreck, the gospel washes up on the shores of Malta. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we do so humbly, seeking to receive from it exactly what you intend, knowing that the only way that happens is by the quickening of your spirit. 
So help us to be open today to the message from on high, to your word. We pray and ask in Christ's name. Amen. It had been a harrowing couple of weeks for the Apostle Paul and his 275 traveling companions on an Egyptian grain ship destined for Italy. For just about 14 days, they had been pummeled. They were storm-tossed. They were blown off course and at the mercy of the extreme seas. When the storm finally cleared and they were able to spy land and they made for it, their ship ran aground. But as Paul had been told by an angel of God, and as he told others, no life would be lost. That was a miracle. The ship and the cargo were at the bottom of the sea. But by God's grace and by God's care, every passenger remained above water. Everyone aboard survived. Every single person made it safe to shore. That's where we left off last week. Here's where we pick up today. What shore had they landed on? You can bet that was one of their first questions. Where are we? They had landed on Malta. Malta is a relatively small island, about 17 miles long, about nine miles wide. It really is just a little dot on the map. If you, if you zoom out to look at the Mediterranean and you're looking for Malta, you won't see it. It's a little tiny dot on the map. It's some 50, 60 miles away from the coast of the region of Sicily. They had landed on Malta. And the Maltese people, we read right away, welcomed the castaways. They were not fearful of them. And apparently they didn't engage in what would have been somewhat common in some of these shipwrecks, any kind of looting or anything like that. In fact, they were just wonderfully hospitable. That's what we understand about the Maltese people. They kindled a fire because it was cold and it was beginning to rain. Luke tells us that in the process of keeping the fire, the apostle Paul was gathering wood. Now here we have a glimpse of the servant nature of the Apostle Paul, which not coincidentally mirrors the servant nature of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus, who came into this world not to be served, but to serve. That is how Jesus was, and Paul, as a follower of Jesus, is a servant. And we, as followers of Jesus, ought to be thinking along those same lines. How can I give my life in service to God. Paul is gathering wood. Now, Paul had gained some prominence now in this journey. Remember, he began as a prisoner. He remains a prisoner. But early on in the story, when he was saying, you know what, I don't think we should sail just now, people disregarded what he had to say. And of course, then came the storm. And then all of a sudden, people were beginning to listen to what Paul had to say. And then Paul brought a great message of hope to the whole crew. Nobody's going to die. We're going to make it through this. God has told me, the God to whom I belong and the God who I worship has told me. So Paul is gaining prominence. You would think maybe somebody a little less important could lug the wood. Wouldn't that be how it works in an American economy? You work your way up so you don't have to lug wood. You pay someone to lug wood. Paul is lugging wood, tending a fire, because he's not above that. 
He's made every effort to be of no burden to anybody through his whole ministry. Remember, he said that in other letters. This is how Paul is. He's ready to pitch in. And this is how we ought to be as Christian servants as well. Willing to pitch in to do what needs to be done. As William Barclay has put it, it's only the little man that refuses the little task. So while he's adding wood to the fire, a viper came out of the pile and bit him on the hand. Seriously now. That if you were Paul, well, he handled it a lot better than I would. I know that. First of all, I'd be doing a dance for sure. I guarantee you that. But that's, that's separate. That's my issue. But I'm, I'm thinking, man, it just, just keeps getting better for the apostle. We've got a shipwreck. We get to the shore. It starts to rain. We build a fire. We're getting warm. A snake comes out and latches to my hand. Great. Fantastic. But Paul's not phased by any of this, and that's noteworthy. Somewhat remarkable on its own, but you should understand this too. The Apostle Paul had no fear whatsoever of dying. That was not a concern of his. He, he, again, he knows to whom he belongs, and he understands that in the sovereign will of God, he's going to live or he's not going to live, and either way, it's going to be to God's glory. But there's something else that's going on that's in the background that we should remember. Where did God tell Paul he was going? Rome. You're going to go to Rome. You're going to stand before Caesar. So Paul knows full well, my days aren't ending here on Malta. Whatever anybody thinks this snake is going to do to me, I'm not finished. I'm not done. He shakes it off into the fire. The islanders now who had witnessed this and who appear to be somewhat superstitious believed immediately that the snake bite was a death sentence. And, and they surmised that it must be justice. That yes, he made it to the shore, but he must be a murderer. He must be an, an awful criminal because he survived the shipwreck, but justice isn't going to allow him to live any further. He's going to die. And they kept their eye on him. They expected he was going to swell up, and they expected he was going to drop dead. And after a while, when that didn't happen, their thinking changed and went to another extreme. Now they think he's a god. Paul had that problem before. Remember, I think it was in Lystra where he's, in Lystra where he's healing, and all of a sudden people want to worship him. And he's like, no, no. So, so these people kind of demonstrate the fickleness of us humans in our thinking and why we need the Bible to sort of regulate and, and put up the guardrails for us to help us understand reality. Oh, he must be a murderer. No, he's not a murderer. Well, then he must be a god. Well, for crying out loud, is there something in the middle there? <laughs> Paul is not going to stand for this. You know that. He's not going to allow this interpretation to live. How he handled it isn't covered in the text, but I would say that he probably shook off their praise the way he shook off that snake. It's no big thing. We're not going to pay any attention to it. Because he'd never want to be thought of as divine. Because Paul is not God. And Paul is not a God. He is simply one through whom God works. And you know what? That really is all that we endeavor to be as well. Simply one through whom God works. We are not to be glory hounds. We are not to be here drawing attention to ourselves. We are to be drawing attention to our great God. We are, we are not to act 
as if we possess anything at all that hasn't been given to us. We are recipients of God's grace and mercy and good and perfect gifts. We're only vessels who carry the good that God has given into this dark world and prayerfully bring some amount of light. But it's all through God. We're only vehicles of God's grace. We have a treasure, the gospel, but it's in what? Jars of clay, Paul tells us. Flawed and imperfect vessels. It's all about God. We live for his glory. We live for others' good. And that's what Paul is about to do here on Malta. Verses 7 to 9 of Acts 28. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. This was a good place to land. Very hospitable on all fronts. It happened that his father lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. That, that scene right there is reminiscent of an incident that happened in the life of Jesus. You may recall where Peter's mother, mother-in-law is lying sick with a fever. And Jesus healed her. And after he healed her, the multitudes came to be cured. So just this same way, when word got out about the miraculous deliverance of, of this chief man's, this chief island man's father, others on Malta who had diseases came to Paul and they found healing. Luke says that all of the people, we don't know how many people live there, and it could be hyperbole, that it's just a way of saying masses, a huge amount of people. All or the rest of the people who had diseases came. And were healed. That is a significant blessing when you think about it. There's a danger in reading too fast, isn't there? Paul's going to hang out on this island for three months. And on this island, what's he going to do? Well, he's going to fold his arms and be angry because he never wanted to be on that island in the first place. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> we all know what that. We're going to pout a little bit. Get a little bit of self-pity ginned up here. No, he doesn't do any of that. He's going to minister in the name of Christ. That's an, it's an overused phrase, but it's appropriate here. He's going to bloom where he's planted, man. This is where I am. What do I have to offer? How can I bring glory to God? How can I love others in the midst? Something good can come from a shipwreck. I guess that's part of the lesson here. Uh, something good can come from a, from a shipwreck. Something good can come from a snake bite. People were willing to listen to Paul after he made it through that, right? He's going to be there for three months. He's going to minister. It wasn't his preferred destination. It wasn't his choice of situation. It wasn't what he had in mind. Do you suppose God might or could use some of those experiences in your life, the hardships, the difficulties, the painful experiences that you didn't invite and that you didn't want, but do you suppose that God could actually use some of those things for the good of others? 
That is not the main point of this passage, of course, but it is a potential application. Some of us today may not be where we want to be. Or like Paul and his companions, not where we were planning to be. Not where we were hoping to be. We had different ideas. Maybe we have been blown off course by a number of challenging circumstances that we were not anticipating. And yet because God is sovereign and because God is good, we know that he can use us. We know that he can use what we are going through for the good of his kingdom and for the advancement of the gospel. That's what's happening with Paul. He wants to get to Rome. He's wanted to get to Rome for some time now. Not because he's eager to be tried. That's not at all what, what he's looking forward to. But because Rome really is the center of the civilized world at this point. There's like a million people living in Rome right now. And if Paul can get there, and if he can get there and he can share the gospel in that place, it could become one of Rome's chief exports. The roads go in and the roads go out. Paul knows that. So he wants it and he's eager to get to this place where all these people are, where he can have all this influence. But he's been sidetracked. He's been shipwrecked. He's been forced to this little, tiny, seemingly insignificant island, this little dot on the map. Who knows what the population of Malta was at that point? Again, it couldn't have been very much anyway. 17 miles long, 9 miles wide. In the ancient world. Out in the middle of the Mediterranean. How popular could that be? That's like, that's like a township. That's, in Maine speak, that's unorganized territory out there. <laughs> there aren't many people out there. That's where Paul ends up. What does he do? Well, he shows him Jesus. He carries on the redeeming, reclaiming work of Christ. He heals people. He heals people through the power of the Spirit. That's what Acts is about. This unstoppable movement of God and his goodness into the world through Jesus. That's what Paul does. He shows those islanders the supremacy of Christ, the authority of Christ, the power of Christ. Or another way to say that is that the gospel is advancing throughout the world. Does that sound familiar? Do you see how this ties in? I love preaching through a whole book because this is Acts 1.8 and here we are in, yes, the last chapter. I know, it's kind of sad in a way. And this, what's happening? Just what Jesus said would happen. The advancement is moving through the world. The advancement of the gospel. That's where we're going to leave off today. I know that's a short message. I just wanted to worry some of you by having such a long service that you looked at that message down there and you went, you've got to be kidding me. So hopefully I was successful. I love you people. I love you people. We leave off here.
and next week we'll make our way, Lord willing, through the rest of the book. Um, but now I just want to ask you, can, can you see the goodness coming out of a shipwreck? There's not a lot of detail there. Luke doesn't give us a play-by-play, -play, but can you imagine how many people came to the apostle to be healed by Jesus? And how many lives were set on a completely different trajectory because the Apostle Paul and his friends washed up on Malta? Can you see that good things can come out of shipwrecks? That triumph really can, because of God's power, come out of tragedy? We, we call that beauty from ashes, right? It's all burned down. Don't worry, God can make something beautiful out of it. That's what he does. That's the business he's in. The psalmist asks, who is, who is man that you are mindful of him? We could, we could also ask, who are these Maltese people that God is mindful of them? And they are people that he loves because he loves the world. This is our God. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So who is the gospel for? The gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for all who would believe. Take a moment, if you would, let's bow our heads and re reflect and respond on this. I want to ask you, friends, while your heads are bowed, while maybe your eyes are closed, maybe not, but if God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, have you come to repentance? To repent means simply to turn and go in a different direction. And that's what Jesus said when he made his call to people. He said, repent and believe. The kingdom is at hand. Have you come to repentance, to a place in your life where you're willing to say, you know what, I really do need to follow Jesus. I've got to stop trying to chart this course all on my own. Or have you believed? And by belief, I mean, do you have faith in Christ and who he said he was? Are you willing to put your life in his hands? Have you believed that way? Not just do you acknowledge that there is a God or do you even acknowledge that Jesus was the Son of God, but is he your Savior? Is he your Lord? I want you to think through this prayer I'm going to offer right now. If you have not come to repentance at this point in your life, or if you have not believed in Jesus as your Savior, then I'd like you to consider this prayer as your own between you and God to the Lord. And it would go something like this. Lord, I know that I am a sinner. I know that I cannot save myself. I need and I want your forgiveness. And I am ready to trust you with my life. I believe you are the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead on the third day. Lord, I accept your death as a penalty for my sin. And I recognize that your mercy and grace is a gift you offer to me because of your great love. Not based on anything that I have done, 
By faith I receive your forgiveness, your promise of salvation, your gift of eternal life. You died for me, Jesus. I am ready to live for you. Save me. Save me. Save me. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the first time, then you've got to talk to somebody about it because there's no such thing in this country as a closet Christian. Talk to somebody you came with. Talk to the person who invited you. Come talk to me. But if you this day have made the decision to truly put your life in Christ's hands, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's stand and sing our concluding hymn this morning, The Wonderful Grace of Jesus. This whole service has been a celebration of that grace.